Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I'm David Rothkopf, and I am coming to you today from Venice, Italy, in Washington, D.C., in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK, is Rosa Brooks. And in Palo Alto, California, somewhere at Stanford University, is Corey Shockey. <laughs> um, and uh, we're sort of recovering from our coverage of the U.N. We want to talk about a few things that have been happening outside of the U.N., since that's been getting saturation coverage all week, um, including what's been happening in Washington. And there have been a number of developments that have taken place in and around the Trump investigation, some of which are sort of process-oriented, some of which are more substantive. Let me start with one of the process ones from a couple of days ago. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just thought I would turn to you, Rosa, because I thought it was such a great story. You know, there are two White House lawyers, and they go to a, a BLT steakhouse you know, near the White House, but also next door to the New York Times. And they start talking about how they're handling the Russia case. And one is berating the other one for his handling of the Russia case. Uh, a guy named Ty Cobb is the one being berated. Uh, 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 undoubtedly uh, calls to mind for baseball fan Corey, a different Ty Cobb. Um, yeah, I was really confused did. when I saw he was becoming Trump's lawyer. I thought he was dead. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, among the things Ty Cobb was famous for was sliding cleats up into Jackie Robinson. Aha! Um, uh -huh. Yeah, he was a dirty player. Uh, well, he slid cleats up into almost everybody, although he's one of the great... He was also a racist and, and played well by Ed Harris in the movie, by the way. But in any event, but this Ty um, Cobb as, doesn't look like he's much of an athlete, but no, he doesn't. And he does have this kind of bizarre <laughs> handlebar mustache, which you got. I mean, that is like a character. Somebody walks into my office with a handlebar mustache. The meeting is over. OK, you've got a personality problem. Take it home. I but, feel like it's one of those, you know, leading indicators that somebody lacks judgment. It really is. With well, the possible exception of. Former Oakland Athletics reliever Raleigh, Raleigh Finger. Fingers, yes, <laughs> but He's but we actually have additional evidence that this particular Ty Cobb lacks judgment because <laughs> not only does he he goes out for lunch, he goes to BLT Steak in Washington D.C. And they blab like crazy, forgetting that they are actually in the favored lunch hangout of the New York Times reporters who cover them. And it just so <laughs> happens that not this is not merely hypothetical, because in fact, some one of the New York Times ace reporters covering them is sitting next to them while they eat their lunch, <laughs> listening happily to every word and even snapping some nice pictures of them yakking away as they trash each other and complain about the other. 
other lawyers and so forth. So what is going on with these lawyers? Who knows? You know, I, I will tell you a story, and I've never told this story publicly, and I'm not going to get into all the details. I'm, I'm a little apprehensive that I've even begun it. But just a month ago, I was at a hotel bar in Washington, D.C. I'd had a meeting with somebody, and um, the person I'd met, met with uh, left to finish the meeting, and I was just checking my emails. And in walks a lawyer, and I'm going to try to restrain myself from naming the name of this lawyer, who was recently retained by a very senior person in the Trump administration slash family. And um, he starts talking all about his client. And I'm like sitting there like six feet away, you know, my Twitter audience, you know, a <laughs> thumb length away from hearing everything away. <laughs> Uh, and and he's like going on uh, and he's talking about character flaws of this client of his and what he thinks he knows and what he doesn't think he knows and what his problems are. And then I get the impression. And again, it was just the impression. And that's why I'm not mentioning names that he was actually talking about a book contract, that he was actually sort of negotiating a contract or talking about writing a book prior to even having done the representation of this person. And I thought, what kind of an idiot has this conversation in the middle of a hotel bar? David, why didn't you write a New York Times story about this? Well, you know, <laughs> it's just that much more discreet. It's just a conversation among the three of us. But, but you know, th this is exactly the same thing that happened. These bozos are really, you know, the gang that couldn't shoot straight. But what does it tell you? You know, you look as an attorney, not to mention as a police officer, at the behavior of the Trump legal team, um, and you know they're fighting with each other. Um, they, you know, they're all they're, leaking they're, like crazy. They're leaking like crazy. Both accidentally stories. and on purpose, it turns out. Right, and they're, but they're stories that you know they thought that Trump should get rid of Jared Kushner because of X and Y. And they, did, how do you how do you just rate the way the legal team is handling all this? <laughs> well, there are are several different hypotheses, right? One is that they're just a bunch of klutzes. Uh, two is that they're not actually klutzes, but their clients are so obnoxious that these lawyers, you know, contrary to their ethical obligations, have decided who cares. Uh, we can't be bothered to keep confidentiality because these guys are such jerks. And the third possibility is that they're in fact diabolically clever and the only things overheard at BLT Stake or elsewhere are exactly what they want you to hear. Um, I'm inclined to doubt the last one. I think it's some combination of the first two. And and part of what's going on, I mean, part of what makes this complicated and what makes uh, what has reportedly made many, many lawyers turn down requests to represent some of the the principles has been the widespread sense among lawyers that it's it's just a complete shark fest. Uh, you know, every single one of the principles has multiple lawyers already. Everybody is lawyering up. Um, there's already a sense of, you know, somebody's going to turn on somebody and nobody qu quite knows who's going to be at the bottom of that pile at the end of the day. You know, so it, it looks and, – and Trump himself is most unmanageable of all. Uh, so so pretty clearly a lot of smart lawyers have said, no, thank you. I can, I can pay the bills by finding some other client than you guys. 
Uh, and what you're left with is lawyers who are either particularly unscrupulous, have particularly poor judgment or value publicity more than they value uh, zealous representation of their client. When one of those lawyers is testifying uh, Tuesday of this week, I think, uh, on the Hill. Um, even the lawyers uh, have lawyers, right? Even the White House counsel has retained his own <laughs> private lawyer to represent him in all this. So when, when, when even the lawyers have lawyers and the lawyers' lawyers probably have lawyers at this point, you know it's a giant mess. Well, Corey, you've worked in a White House. What do you think the effect is? First of all, you've got lawyers who are you know, fighting with each other. You've got lawyers and lawyers, lawyers and lawyers for all the principles. But now all of a sudden, the people in the NSC, Hope Hicks, other people, they're all getting you know, subpoenas, they're all going to have to testify. Soon, most of the people in this White House are going to have an attorney. How does that affect the governance of the United States and the function of the White House? Uh, it affects it in three ways. First, it distracts their attention from their actual jobs. Um, second, it affects how they communicate with each other and the external world because they are thinking about uh, am I going to go to jail for saying this? So you get a lot more stilted conversations, which means the the policymaking system gets more brittle. And the third thing uh, is that unless you have a lot of trust that the team holds together, uh, you you start to wonder whether you are the one who's going to be offered up, right? Like The Onion had a fantastic article about somebody in the Trump administration being so excited that there are so many people he would, uh, he would turn in before anybody, you know, before he has to stand in front of the law. The, the crazy grifter mentality of the president, his family, and his close associates um, may seem fun and freewheeling when they are not holding the levers of governance. But one of the really beautiful things about democracy in America is the transparency and the expectation of legal and appropriate behavior, right? Like, I know this will shock you, David and Rosa, but I'm homesick for an Obama administration where wow. there wasn't a constant daily revelation of a, grieve, yeah. a grievous breach of the norms or laws or emoluments clause of our government. No, I think that I, I was just say, yeah, and I, I, I was just I was just thinking that I was thinking of you know my my time in the Obama administration, and I was very critical of all kinds of things about the Obama administration. But one thing that I never worried about ever was that somebody was going to repeat to the press some comment I made at a meeting and or or in the hallway. You know that there was a general sense of of you know. People are part of the same government <laughs> and not just out to rat on each other right. uh, to the outside world. Uh, and things got a little dicey towards the end. You got a few tell-all memoirs from, you know, everyone from uh, Gates to Panetta and, and indeed Hillary Clinton. Um, but nevertheless, the, the, the level of infighting, leaking and backbiting in the Trump White House is pretty astonishing. 
I have to say one of the things that is most aggravating about the Trump administration is that a degree to which it's allowing Obama administration officials on the news and on Twitter to assume a kind of a saintly pose. Absolutely say, right. <laughs> which is irritating. Weren't very good at their jobs. Oh my god, it's like if I have to listen criminals. It's like if I have to listen to one more you know, sort of tweet from Ben Rhodes as though he were George Marshall, you know, <laughs> you know, well, yeah. you know, back in the day when we were masters of the universe and it achieved world peace and happiness for everybody, um, you know, none of this would have happened. And if only you would listen to me, even though I'm just barely past being a twerp now um, and, you know, started out as one. You never you know, outgrow I mean, twerpiness, David. No, you yeah, really he's still a twerp. No, I think there's a consensus, at least here at Deep State Radio, about that. But, you know, these guys screwed up big time on Syria. The Iran deal is better than not having a deal, but it's not perfection. Obamacare is a mess, and they capitulated to the insurance par- uh, companies on it. You know, um, the world was not happy with Obama at the end of his term. Um uh, was he a better man than Trump? Yes. Is he earnest? Yes. Is he smart? Yes. Did he want to do a good thing? Yes. Did all of those folks try to do good things? Yes. But geez, the fact that they are all now on top of Mount Sinai shouting down at us because of Trump. <laughs> well said, David. So aggravating. Um, in any event, there's more substantive stuff that's been happening too. And one of the things that I found most interesting, you know, one of the questions I get regularly, I was at a lunch today with a group of people here. Needless to say, I travel overseas and I sit down. By the way, in Venice, uh, coincidental with the Biennale. Okay, whatever. was lunching. I was ever, I was having lunch with a bunch of people and they were all Americans. And all they were saying was, so is is Trump going down or not? Is 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 Trump, you know, it, is he going to last out his term or is he not going to last out his term? And, you know, I don't know what the correlation between that and the art market is because I don't know anything about the art market. Um, uh, but I also don't know, you know, what's going to happen with Trump. But to me, there seems to be like a couple of paths where you lead to Trump leaving office. And I think the odds are against him leaving, but there are a couple of paths. And one of them is... Um, the path associated with obstruction of justice. And one of them is the path associated with, you know, sort of financial wrongdoing um, by him, his companies and so forth. Um, uh, uh, And another one is that the noose gets tightened and ultimately gets to members of his family, Jared, Donald Jr. You know, I don't know, Ivanka, something. And at that point he says, I'm, I'm not sticking around. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. This has been too destructive. I'm out of me. here because I have better things to do, like make money. Right, right. I have, have, I have other things to do. I'm only 71. There are more bankruptcies left for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 what, but one of the most interesting ones, one of the most interesting paths to something really substantive, which seems to have cropped up recently, has to do with Facebook and Twitter, you know, targeting subgroups for Russians, perhaps in conversation, collusion, communication with the people on the Trump team that were doing this, which happens to be a group that was led by Jared Kushner 
as in, and involved this Cambridge Analytica group that, you know, Bannon and others were associated with. And I was just wondering what you guys make of all that. So I think Facebook and other social media platforms have a lot to answer for. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be really um, a dangerous time for their business model because the sanctimoniousness of their sense of social virtue, we're creating a global community and everybody's nice here and um, is not consistent with uh, selling dark ads to non-Americans using their targeted analytic information to affect electoral outcomes and not informing the SEC and denying that they had done this and saying, oh, but we don't track those kinds of things when their business model is selling very precise targeting of all of the many ways in which they track their users. I actually think, and I'm sorry, I left out one more important thing. The smug condescension of Silicon Valley towards Washington, right? You people are too dumb to regulate us. Um, you don't understand our business. Uh, first of all, they learned nothing from the Microsoft case of a decade ago, which is government can really mess up your business. And the second thing is they are dramatically underestimating how much the hardworking, you know, make 27 phone calls to raise $2,000 members of Congress are going to enjoy taking them down a few notches if it turns out uh, that they should have known this and reported it to the Federal Election Commission or others, or if they didn't know it because they were averting their eyes but could easily have known it. Um, and... And, you know, once subpoenas start coming out, they are going to have to get way out ahead of this, not just because of their legal culpability, but because of how their users are going to think differently about them if, they, if it turns out that this was important in affecting the election outcome. Interesting. What do you think of all this, Rosa? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, here's my somewhat cynical take, and, and this actually applies equally to Facebook uh, and other giant Silicon Valley companies and to Donald Trump himself. I mean, I, when Corey says that this, this could damage their business model, my reaction a little bit is no, it won't because nobody cares, you know, that, that the average user of Facebook doesn't really care if Facebook is evil. You know, they still like using it because it's convenient to them and they're perfectly happy to sacrifice all of their privacy uh, and for the, you know, they don't really care that Facebook is, you know, up to its uh, up to its proverbial uh, and non, not actually existent neck in in potentially in deals that we wouldn't like very much if we knew about them. Um, and and so that there, there won't really, you know, that unless there is sufficient evidence of illegality that that they become part become ensnared in a big justice department investigation which is completely possible and and on you know looks like we might be already be seeing some little 
moves in that direction, although right now it's still sort of peripheral to other investigations. You know, I mean, unless they face some massive uh, uh, litigation costs uh, or have to reach a settlement or have an adverse uh, judgment against them, I don't see that this changes anything because I don't think that the average consumer cares. And the same really, unfortunately, I think holds true for Donald Trump, I mean, we've we've discussed this before. Trump himself had quipped at one point that, you know, he could murder somebody, could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and it wouldn't matter to his base. Um, you know, he's he's president. We've seen, even though parts of his base do finally seem to be peeling away from him, he's still sitting there in the White House. Uh, the Republicans in Congress still seem, you know, simultaneously apoplectic and utterly passive about Trump. Uh, so. And, and things like obstruction of justice because of cover-ups, this seems to be boring to the American people. You know, poll after poll suggests that most Americans don't really care. They don't find this very interesting, that they're perfectly happy to believe that Trump did all sorts of yucky stuff and they also don't really care that much, which is to say that the people who don't like Trump didn't like Trump anyway and the people who like Trump still like him and don't care about this. So it's it's hard to see – you know, I mean, there's a. I think there's a question if if Trump was actually indicted, you know, uh, for obstruction of justice or something, might something like that force Congress to act either on some sort of Twenty Fifth Amendment front or on impeachment? Maybe, but short of that, I think that there can be, you know, damaging rumors, leaks, and investigations pretty much forever, and there's no real consequence for Trump. Well, that's that's very interesting, Corey. When people stop you at a cocktail party, I'm sure you attend them constantly out there in Silicon <laughs> Valley, and they say, "How is this all going to play out?" And you look at these various tracks, and you know, Mueller's got all these people, and you know, there's a whole bunch of them that are kind of financial, forensic specialists who look into bad deals. And then there's a whole case that seems to be getting formed around obstruction. And there seems now to be some interest in this data area. And you sort of know the players and you know the scenarios. What, what do you tell them when you know they're, they're looking for a smart pill about the future? I tell them they should talk to somebody who's an actual lawyer and not me. <laughs> um, uh, this taxpayer's opinion is that a lot of smart, high-powered lawyers who have really important jobs like being federal prosecutors are leaving their jobs to go to work for Robert Mueller. Um, you know, experts on money laundering. Um, uh, if I were in the White House, I would be investing in a really good lawyer, even if I had nothing to do with anything going on. Because, you know, just as a as a as a um, professional issue, you don't leave a great job for a near-term gig unless you think there's something really important going on. And you know, the country's top money laundering experts flocking to work for Robert Mueller suggest to me that that the president's likely to be in legal trouble. Whether that translates to political trouble, Again, I'm not a lawyer, so um, so Rosa is much better place than me. But it looks to me like there are four possible political outcomes. The first is that Mueller, with all this high wattage talent, 
concludes that the president and the people around him did nothing wrong. That would be the best outcome for the country, in my judgment, because because if in um, fact they did nothing wrong, that would be the best outcome. If in fact they did yeah, do something it, wrong, it would not be. <laughs> yes, I am investing heavily in Robert Mueller's um, unflinching integrity. So, so if if the president and the people around him did nothing wrong, that would be the best thing for the country. I think there's a low probability of that being the eventual outcome. Second possible outcome is that the Mueller investigation turns up that they did a bunch of stuff wrong, but but Mueller concludes that, you know, this is within the margin of error kind of stuff. It doesn't constitute the level that you would bring a legal case or that would encourage an impeachment case. Um you know, that wouldn't be a terrible outcome for the republic. Third possible outcome is that Mueller turns up a whole bunch of stuff and Rose is right. Nobody cares. Republicans won't won't make a political issue of it. They say Hillary Clinton did this and more. Um, and that's the worst outcome for the republic because it's so corrosive to the public sense of our government's decency and representativeness of the public interest. The fourth possible outcome, I think, is Mueller turning up a lot of stuff so much that even Paul Ryan can't avert his eyes and continue to support the president, and you bring an impeachment case that removes the president from office. I think that's the second best outcome, because it shows the system works, that we do have the ability to police our government and to hold government officials accountable for their behavior. And if I had to predict, I would predict something in between two and three uh, is what actually happens. You know, that, that Mueller and company uncover a lot of stuff, some of which is yucky and stupid but not necessarily rising to a high enough level that you, you know, throw every possible resource at trying to put people in jail uh, and some of which is clearly criminal and you do need to put some resources in putting people in jail. But there's no one big smoking gun. There's no piece of evidence that points directly at Donald Trump that it's kind of, you know, smaller and boring sounding white collar crime stuff that involves his close associates, but you can't quite put the finger on him. And so there's this sort of lengthy set of messy legal proceedings which drag on for years and years and bore everybody. But Trump manages to still come out of this, you know, maybe there are some fines, maybe there are some suspended sentences, you know, maybe there's some community service, maybe, maybe, maybe you even get a few people getting sentenced to relatively short sentences uh, in the federal penitentiary. But Trump himself, there's not quite enough that Paul Ryan has to take it seriously. And, and so it kind of just drags on in a messy, damaging way that does induce ever greater cynicism on all sides. You know, I have a slightly different theory, which I'll throw out there and you guys can react to it. Then we'll move on to a different topic. But my theory is that one of the things we're not taking into consideration is that this is not 1974. The last time or even it's not the late 1990s and the Bill Clinton, you know, fiasco. Um, things move differently in the public mood these days. 
when something happens, you know, even a story breaks, you watch it and, you know, breaks. And then on Twitter, within an hour, there's thousands, millions of tweets and news items get written and stories get written and, you know, stories become obsolete after eight hours and, and, and momentum builds much more rapidly. And, and, and it, and it becomes deafening. And, and I just have this sense that, you know, if what happened were, you know, you started to get a series of revelations um, and they start to break and they snowball and snowball in this kind of gigantic high tech echo chamber that we've got nowadays, um, that it may become so deafening that it's impossible to do anything. Um, that 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 it almost becomes necessary for a president to resign rather than deal with this because because the the country will literally not be able to think about anything else. Um, I don't know. We have now, we we are a country with very very short attention spans. I think we'll, well get so bored so quickly of the deafening noise that we'll instantly move on. Well, it's possible. You're, you're you know it's possible. I just I just think that we have a kind of a predisposition for manias in our current system. Um, and by, and by the way, I you know I mean I think it may well be that that the evidence you know could come out and and warrant a, you know something of a mania. But 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 uh, anyway, well we sh- we shall see. Um, there's an election coming up in a few days for the leader of the free world. Um, and, and, and this leader of the free world has great approval rating, um, uh, in every, every country in the free world is, has been elected, uh, before, you know, uh, has, has proven themselves. Uh, and of course I'm speaking about the German election in which Angela Merkel is likely to you know, be returned to her position as chancellor yet again. And I saw some polling data where in France, if you look at confidence in Merkel and Trump, it's 79-14 Merkel to Trump. And in the UK, it's 68-22 Merkel to Trump. And in the US- So basically you're saying that if only we could get a constitutional amendment, we think that Merkel could beat Trump in 2020. Well, she could because in the US, (laughs) it's it's 56-46 Merkel to Trump. So Americans have substantially greater faith in Angela Merkel than they do in Donald Trump. And, you know, it's interesting because she sort of snuck up on everybody. And she's not super flashy, but she does stand up to Putin. She stands up to Trump. She stands up to bad guys. You know, she got a lot of heat during the financial crisis for the tough line Germany was taking. And everybody said, oh, they're, they're, they're being you know, mean to the rest of Europe. And today everybody's like, oh no, Germany was right. We've got to listen to what they were doing. It's it's really been a remarkable run. And I just wanted you guys to offer up your thoughts on this 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 election. And the fact that she is, you know, I mean the reality is if Donald Trump ceases to be the leader of the free world by virtue of incompetence and withdrawal, his his pen his tendency towards retreat, and somebody else steps up, that is significant for the United States because it means some other country is is going to be impacting our fate. So uh, I agree with your conclusion that the United States is ought to have a lot more trepidation about a country other than us becoming the rule setter and enforcer of the international order. I do not believe that country will be Germany. 
although I agree with you that Angela Merkel has been an incredibly talented uh, chancellor of Germany and has governed Germany in a way that has made it um, a leader on the European scene and an important voice for values. What Germany does not do outside of its economics is enforce rules of the order. And and have they have to be cajoled and shamed into even participating in the defense of the order. Um, Germany has one of the lowest proportions of its population who believe that they ought to come to the assistance of any NATO ally that's attacked. Uh, not once during a migrant crisis that was upending not just German politics, but the long-term demographics of their country. At no point did anyone in the German leadership think, hey, maybe we should solve this problem where it's occurring so that refugees, so that 11 million refugees don't have to leave Syria. And I think... um, in order to be the hegemon of the international order, in order to be the leader of the free world, you would have to have additional reflexes that Germany under Angela Merkel doesn't. So much as I admire her, the thing I would give her the most credit for is that during the financial crisis, at, at, during the euro crisis, which was precipitated to some extent by the financial crisis, she was smart enough to stay fast enough to be ahead of a market collapse, but slow enough that she didn't lose German support for the for the financial transfers that were going to be necessary to hold the euro together. But she still hasn't been honest about the extent of Germany's culpability in the weakness of the southern part of the eurozone. Um, and I think being the leader of the free world would require that of her, that and more of her. Is is there still a free world? <laughs> no, I mean it's uh, a serious thank question. Thank you so much for giving me back the tiara of optimism. <laughs> You're you welcome, Corey. It belongs to you. Yeah. No, but I mean that's a serious question, right? Right. I mean, will, is there still something that it makes? Was there ever? I suppose one could say, but is there certainly? Is there now something that we can in fact refer to as the free world that has any kind of coherence? Uh, or has it already fragmented uh, fragmented and or in various parts have become less free? I mean, you know, my nominee for likely new global hegemon would, would be China. Uh, I don't think China's likely in the uh, imminent future to ever be viewed as something we'd see as leader of a free world as opposed to a not as unfree as you might have feared, but not as free as you might have hoped world. Well, look, I mean, you know, I I, I understand why you asked your question, but the reality is, there are still countries in the world that are essentially democratic, <coughs> and there are a bunch of countries that aren't. And um, you know, the U.S. and the Europeans, the Japanese, the Indians, and so forth, view themselves as representing one worldview. Um, the Chinese have a different worldview. The Russians have a different worldview. There are countries across Central Asia and Africa, um, and even here in the Americas where there is a different view, where democracy is not valued. That seems to me to be a salient distinction between free and not free. Here, here. Well said, Aww. David. Go on. Hum, hum. You, you're okay. going to equate democracy with freedom? 
Well, I don't think it's that tenuous. I, mean, <laughs> I think it's somewhat tenuous, <laughs> and uh, I would also, and I also think it's tenuous to replace to... a government that they don't feel represents. But them I think is that the that definition of freedom is. But I think that that is has diminished in many so-called democratic states, and I also think that the 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 presumed uh, causal linkage between democracy and respect for basic rights and so forth, you know, has been, you know, has always been questioned, but I think is is called into question even more now than it has been. So, I mean, my, my I'm not convinced that we are likely to see any time in the next, you know, 20 years or so. Uh, anything resembling the sort of solidity and stability of the, you know, frankly, the transatlantic alliance plus Japan and a handful of other countries uh, uh, that we that we've seen in the past. I, I think that that's probably gone. Um. Okay. I well, look. I mean, I think this is a legitimate <laughs> discussion to have. No, no. Seriously. I mean, it's not something we've talked about much, and I think uh, it is fair to ask whether there, there, you know, there is still a you know sort of clear divide in worldviews. Um, uh, clearly, there are illiberal democracies out there, and, um, and clearly, there are but, democracies like India, which do not view themselves as having a large number of things in common with the U.S. in other ways. Um, so. Well, you know. although that 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 has changed somewhat, but but I do think that there is uh, uh, there there it, it's also clear that there are a number of nations where uh, lack of freedom, uh, autocracy, authoritarianism um, play a much much greater role that would not be accepted into any model of democracy um, uh, other than sham democracy, and uh, and 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 sort of are therefore at a different point on the ideological spectrum. I guess I'm just saying a- that our own democracy is is veering so far in the direction of shambolic uh, that uh, I, I think there is good reason to wonder if it will recover. And if it doesn't recover, then, you know, what's left of a, a free world with a leader? All right. No question about that. There, there, there is there, there is no there is no question about that. Now, let me ask you one or two other quick questions before we we head off, uh, having to do with the UN General Assembly. Just this rapid fire, and perhaps we'll talk more about it next week when we have a little bit more perspective. But Donald Trump met with the President of France, Emmanuel Macron, and during his his meeting, Corey, he said that. He's been thinking about having a big parade on July 4th to show American military strength, you know, kind of like a May Day parade. He wants a parade with missiles. It's like, it's like one tanks. of those Soviet parades in North Korean like parades. Where, yeah. Soviet, we yeah. could take all yeah. of the nuclear missiles out of storage and we could parade them down Pennsylvania Avenue. That would be awesome. Right. Well, exactly. That's a nice idea, and and it'll give us more silo space to choose and, from. And it would yeah. simplify Russian, Chinese, and North Korean targeting of our strategic <laughs> So it, well, and that would be well, nice. That would be a friendly gesture. Yeah, but I, I, the only reason I flag this is that you know, there is Trump, and you have him reading teleprompters mm-hmm. and not screwing up and so forth, and in certain kinds of ways. But when the president of the United States says asinine shit like this. It does, you know, I think it, it it makes everybody in the world go, oh, my God, this guy is a nut. He's not serious and so forth. But but again, 
maybe it's me. Maybe it's just, you know, my idealistic. I mean, Rosa just shot me down for being, you know, idealistic. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, what, what do you, what do you think all this, Corey? You love the military. It's true. And one of the things I love most about military culture in these United States of America is that we celebrate our military by We celebrate having... them by letting them board airplanes earlier than everybody else. And let's face it, that's the way we should celebrate them. That's, so that's true. <laughs> so... I actually was going the same direction Rosa was. Sorry, Corey. We we celebrate them by asking them to stand up at baseball games so we can give them a round of applause. We we do small town um, pointless gestures that pull them back towards our society, and I think with a small and professional military force relative to the size and professionalism of our population, that those little sweetnesses are the things that our military values about American culture. And most of them would actually be uneasy about Soviet-style parades, because that's not who we are as a political culture. And... And that's what President Trump doesn't seem to get, right? The French have a different history. And so a big, bold military parade on Bastille Day is fine in France. It would feel weird here in the United States. And so I hope just as when the president floated this idea for his inaugural parade uh, that, you know, people will suggest that our military is busy that day. Rosa, you mean defending the free world or something? Because yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. I, like David, still believe the free world exists. Well, well, um, I right. I, I do think it would be a good idea if, if our military personnel remained at their current posts and did not all dedicate themselves to having a giant parade for President Trump's viewing pleasure, um, because I think some of them at least are doing stuff that we kind of need them to do. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, it's ridiculous. Trump, it, it's ridiculous. It's depressing. It's sad. Trump obviously has a, you know, incredible attraction to these symbols of fascism, basically. Um, he would love to be, it's he not, would love to second, be Kim Jong-un. It's not that he, he, the really, really big missiles. Yeah, no, he wants... Oh, David, I, I don't need that visual. No, but, but that's exactly what he wants, right? He wants he wants throngs of people standing at attention and saluting him, and he wants to see a lot of really big missiles, you know, and <laughs> it's depressing and sad, um, and I, I agree with Corey. I don't think, other than President Trump, that there are a lot of people uh, in the United States or in the U.S. military who think that that would be a uh, appropriate uh, display to have, uh, particularly because when you come right down to it, the most important way we show our love for the military is the ten percent discount at Home Depot. <laughs> well, that's always worked for your family. Um, I and 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 why 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 shouldn't it? I guess another takeaway I've got from the week at uh, of the UN General Assembly, and we're going to wrap up in just a minute or two, is that Nikki Haley you know, shines brightly and people talk about her replacing Rex Tillerson. But if she were to replace Rex Tillerson, she would immediately go right to the top of the list 
as a potential Republican presidential candidate. And you got to wonder how that's going to make Mike Pence feel. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just I, I just would put you guys my money the- on Nikki. In a, yeah, in a Pence-Haley battle, I would absolutely put my money on her. Exactly. And Corey, any views on this? Uh, well, I think she was a successful governor. She's doing a really good job as UN ambassador um, and navigating between the Scylla and Charybdis of the president's uh, behavior reasonably well. I think we're getting it we're getting the opportunity to test a whole bunch of social science theories in the Trump administration <laughs> like uh, our business people do we need more business people in government evidently the answer to that is no um, does a lack of foreign policy experience and only bare knuckled political experience make you an ineffective diplomat the answer to that is evidently also no right that- that's true. It's it's one of the lessons that we've learned here. Well, there I was a there are, sorry. There was yeah, just sorry. a uh, there was a piece I read in the Times. This was years ago now, but it was about incompetence and competence. And the the main theme was that uh, the nature of incompetence is that incompetent people never know that they're incompetent because that's why they're incompetent. You know that that competent people are competent not because they know everything or know how to do everything, but because they know what they don't know. And they get help when they don't know things, uh, whereas yeah. the incompetent are convinced that they don't need any help, so they don't ask for it, and therefore they be, they remain incompetent without ever realizing it. And I think Nikki Haley, you know, illustrates that principle, which is that she's a competent individual not because she knows what she's doing on everything, but because she knows enough to, as Corey suggested in one of our earlier discussions, she knows enough to say, all right. I don't know about this foreign policy stuff, but I bet there are a lot of smart people on the staff here who do, and I'm going to listen to them, and I'm going to be guided by them, and she's a quick learner. Yeah, and I think, you know, she's got she's got an interesting, uh, you know, um, uh, future um, because she seems so different from her boss, and yet she somehow has avoided alienating him so much. Right, Trump, Trump being the quintessential incompetent who doesn't know he's incompetent. Yeah, well, somebody tweeted at me uh, uh, earlier uh, earlier today. You know, an old political science theory that there was, you know, smart inactive, smart active, dumb inactive, and dumb active as four different leadership choices. Mm. Uh, and, you know, circling dumb active as the Trump leadership choice, and I think anything that would relieve us from that pattern. Uh, or or help us exit from that pattern would would probably be in our interest, right? Um, anyway, here we are at the end of another episode. Next week, when I'm broadcasting to you back from the United States, of course, I will bring pasta for all. Um, I, Excellent. We're holding you to that, David. <laughs> yeah, no, to count on that. Um, uh, we will continue this discussion of this fascinating, never-ending story uh, that you can really only fully appreciate when you view it from the perspective of the deep state, inside the inside, where people um, value truth um, uh, leavened with snark. Uh, thank you, Corey, <laughs> Corey, and 
Thank you, Rosa, um, <laughs> who bring both of those things in in, in large amounts. Uh, and we look forward to all of you joining us again on the next episode of Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.